Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for January has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. This week's episode is brought to you by MailChimp.com, easy email newsletters. MailChimp helps you design email newsletters, share them on social networks, integrate with services you already use, and track your results. It's like your own personal publishing platform. They help you customize your sign-up form to match your brand, so you can share it on your website, integrate it into your Facebook page, and you can even collect sign-ups from an iPad or a laptop. And importing an existing list into MailChimp is a snap, no matter how it's formatted. And you can personalize everything your subscribers see, including sign-up forms and confirmation emails. And there's never been a better time to try MailChimp. With 2,000 subscribers, and you can send 12,000 emails per month forever. Just visit MailChimp.com slash 5x5 to learn more. My guest this week is Greg Pierce, an independent developer and creator of brilliant apps like Drafts, Terminology, Phraseology, Tally, and BoxFinder. How's it going, Greg? Good. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. You have a MailChimp list, huh? I do. I do. Agile Tortoise list. Uh, and it's very simple. I don't use it very much. I don't want to bog people down with email, but any major announcements, news, it's simple to send out uh, quick, nice-looking uh, subscribe uh, subscriber emails to people who want to get them. Highly recommended. How do you collect your email addresses? Uh, I just uh, have a subscribe to my list. Thing embedded on the website that Mailchimp provided for me. Just to, you know, you just load their code in there, and uh, you know, it's not the way I choose to follow a lot of companies, but it is still for a lot of people a preferred way to get the updates, and it, they make it easy. Uh, if it, if I'm buying an app I like, I will almost always sign up for the mailing list because it's easy to filter if they get annoying. Mm-hmm. But it it is a great way to find out about. Stuff maybe a little little before I'll tr- I'll uh, sift through it in my RSS feed, but I got to do that. I really need to do that for marked. I need to use it more effectively. I need to remember to to periodically send some sort of newsletter, whether it's quarterly or or whatever, instead of just for announcements. Kind of bring people up to date on the different tips I've posted and things like that. Tips, you know, who does a good job with that? And they're not a sponsor. I'm saying this because they actually do a good job is uh, PDF Pen. Yeah. They do a spectacular job of sending really good tips for using their application once you sign up for the list. It's nice. So the name of your company is Agile Tortoise. Correct. Where does that name come from? It's relatively random. Um, When I was starting the company back in 2006, I was doing mostly consulting stuff. Uh, I was transferring out of full-time employment uh, and not doing products at the time, but doing consulting. And Agile has a lot of ring to it in the software industry, so it it, it felt like a good fit. And I already have a history with tortoises. Um, I have one tattooed on my arm. I have a large collection of, of a variety of tortoises and kind of have always felt an affiliation with them. Um, so it was just a good fit for me. Um, wow. It had a nice ring to it, I thought. This collection... And the domain name was available. <laughs> <laughs> this collection is live or... or No, no. Uh, you know, trinkets and uh, sculptural turtles and stuff. That's funny. Every time my wife and I go on a trip, 
the one souvenir we'll bring home will be a tortoise, like uh, like a jewelry box tortoise or a wooden carved tortoise or anything that's a tortoise. Yeah, well, it's amazing how prevalent they. My background, I did graduate work in folk studies and and have always been interested in folklore and all and the role of the turtle in so many different cultures. You know, yeah. it's not just the tortoise and the hare kind of thing, but they represent wisdom and patience and a lot of attributes I aspire to. Forever. Plus, when you're a geek like me, probably like you, that people have trouble buying gifts for, wouldn't let them know. <laughs> There's a category like that you're interested in. It's kind of all you get. Yeah. Like every year I get Christmas ornaments and stuff like that. Nice. <laughs> um, I, I Can I tell you about a second degree connection I have to turtles and tortoises? Sure. Uh, I have a friend, uh, used to be a Minnesotan, now a Californian, uh, who who regularly reminds us that it's better weather in California. But uh, But she and her husband work for... It's like a conservatory and mm-hmm. it, it's, it was this very wealthy guy that decided tortoises needed to like certain breeds or certain species of, uh, that they needed saving. And he built one of the best, uh, conservatory, uh, like, uh, sanctuary type things for mm-hmm. tortoises. And her husband's job is like lead vet. For this place. And I haven't been to it yet. My wife has, but it's supposed to be just magical. And there's hundreds of rare tortoises all around the place. And they have like big swimming pools where you can swim with the, the, the uh, turtles and the tortoises. And it's mm-hmm. crazy. Like I want to, I want to go there. That sounds really cool. We went to this uh, reptile garden up in South Dakota, like near the Black Hills area. And I can't speak to, to, how reputable zoologically the place is, but uh, they had uh, several Galapagos turtles that have been there since long before, you know, you can't get a Galapagos turtle mm-hmm. out of the Galapagos and haven't been able to for a long time, but these are like 120-year-old turtles, and you could go right in with them and sit with them and touch them and stuff. It was, you know, fascinating to just be around a creature that has existed that long. It would be. There's Super 8 footage of me as a very young child trying to ride one. <laughs> Um, it, it, it wouldn't move for me and I wasn't brutal about it or anything, but I was patting it on the butt and hoping it would go. Yeehaw. And this, this, uh, this place I'm talking about in California, they have armed guards 24 seven because there's a lot of value, I guess, in black market turtle parts. Yeah, I, there's. They actually have a program here in Texas to to monitor turtles. You know, volunteers can report their sightings and stuff because they have a big problem with turtles disappearing. Uh, they're they're carted off to Asia for I don't know various medicinal things and stuff that. Uh, um, but there's apparently quite a bit of a problem with uh, with that. I don't know. All right. So anyway, on to. Uh, more, well, I suppose that was relevant. That was relevant. <laughs> sure. Um, you make a lot of productivity tools, drafts being probably your most popular and one that is widely known among iOS users. What, what drives you? Well, let's start with drafts. What's the story? What's the origin story of drafts? <laughs> Origin story is pretty clear cut. Uh, I, I've told it elsewhere before, but I really, it's 
actually one of my few apps that I had a light bulb moment on. Um, and its original conception was a lot simpler than the app is today, but I was uh, writing an email to my wife on my phone one day a few years ago and decided halfway through writing it that I should really text it to her instead of email it because it was a more immediate need. And that sounds simple enough, but if you kind of think through the mechanics of it on an iPhone, it wasn't that easy. Uh, you had to go select all the text. You had to copy it. You had to quit. You had to go over to the Messages app. You had to address the new message and paste it in there. And that context shift was kind of a pain. And what I wanted was a tool that allowed me to get the text up front before I decided what I wanted to do with it. Because the more I thought about it, the more times everything I was doing with text on the phone, I didn't always decide up front what it wanted it to be. You know, I jot down an idea. Maybe I wanted it to go to Twitter. Maybe I wanted it to go to Facebook. Maybe I wanted it to go to both. Maybe I wanted to email it to someone or maybe I wanted to message it. Um, and if you have to decide that stuff up front, it's kind of a barrier. So the concept behind drafts was to remove those barriers and give you a place to just open it up, type something, and then be able to send it wherever you wanted to. Well, and that's, I was going to ask you for the elevator pitch behind drafts too, for people who hadn't heard of it, but that was pretty good. Well, thanks. <laughs> My tagline is where text starts on iOS. So, and it, it is, it's a pretty amazing tool because you don't even have to do anything with your text to begin with. So you can use it as kind of a scratch pad and it'll store your previous text and you can decide, you know, this, I need this in Evernote. I want to append this to a text file in Dropbox, et cetera. Yeah, I've had people describe it as post-it notes for your phone. Um, just anything you want to jot down quick, you know, those napkin notes. Uh, and people use it for longer texts and stuff as well. It's it, it's suitable for a variety of note-taking things. But definitely what distinguishes it is what you can do with the text afterwards. Um, over time, I've added all the different, you know, integrations with Dropbox and Evernote and stuff. So you can use it as a front end for a lot of different tools, well, OmniFocus, whatever else. And you made it extensible, which I think uh, I think is a major part of why it maintains visibility, because people can constantly be adding new actions and new ways to use the X callback URL. Mm -hmm. And I think that really, I think that was like, when you look back at TextMate, TextMate, it was a good editor, but if it weren't for all the bundles that the community created, I'm not sure it ever would have really competed on the level that it does and even does now. Right. And uh, I mean, people are doing things with drafts that I never imagined um, were, I didn't even necessarily think of as possible when I designed certain features and people come back with these actions that do stuff like recursively send each line of a draft to Fantastical to create multiple events and stuff. That's brilliant. It's fun. It's brilliant. And, and, uh, like I featured an app a couple weeks ago called Shoots and Leaves. Mm -hmm. And it, it, I called it drafts for pictures. But one of its major features for me was that it could take, it could upload your picture, create a text link and immediately turn that into a note in drafts that you could do whatever you wanted with. Right. So other apps can even leverage the flexibility of drafts. And I, I love to see that sort of integration popping up. I mean, certainly I've gotten feature requests to support photos and drafts, and I've always avoided it um, because I think it's a 
a bit of a Pandora's box because of the number and level of different services I support. And there's no way I could consistently provide photo support across all those different services, which leaves you with a user problem of not understanding why certain actions can do photos and certain ones can't and, and stuff. Um, which adds a level of complexity I didn't really want to get into. Yeah. But it's great to have tools like that that can work as a companion. Um, I've, uh, in my professional, in, in apps that are more than just scripts for me, I've always tried my best to avoid relying on APIs mm-hmm. because they change and they break. And if you have an app that interfaces with a dozen APIs, it's a constant update battle. Right. I, I'm always, you know, the Dropbox SDK, the Evernote SDK, the Facebook SDK, all mm-hmm. these things I'm constantly having to update. And then I'm having to test to make sure they didn't break or change anything important, et yeah. cetera. Well, and once you have enough sales, you find out pretty fast what breaks. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So you kind of answered this question already, uh, talking about drafts, but you, everything you make pretty much is a productivity tool or implements uh, like things like a dictionary or a writing application in ways that make it a productivity tool. What's the, uh, what's the major, what's the personality trait that really, in your opinion, makes you so interested in making people's lives easier? That's an interesting question. I think. I don't know what your road into programming was, but mine was not the traditional road. My background isn't in computer science or anything. Um, my background, you know, was working in offices and my inspiration to start to program was to make life easier for people. Um, you know, to dive in and say, this is a tedious job. There's a better way to do it. Um, so I guess. I wouldn't say I was a programmer who got into productivity. I was a productivity person who got into programming. Um, so it was kind of natural for me to seek out those sorts of, of things. And I definitely, I cut my chops working in-house as, you know, in an IT department doing software development for a company, um, a small manufacturing company where I was able to just kind of dive in anywhere and say, well, let's fix this process. Let's make it better. Um, and they gave me a lot of leeway. So I was coming up with those sorts of things on a small level scripts. And, you know, I started in FileMaker and, and built up to other tools um, just to make people's lives easier. So that's kind of my mindset to begin with. Um, yeah, that that very closely parallels mine. I always thought early in my career that I should just make money as an efficiency expert because mm-hmm. I would go into any job situation and immediately see what could be done faster, more easily, and more automated. And uh, it, it just kind of, like w- when I was an art director, it was my first time using a Mac and within a week I had figured out a way to automate most of my job. And within a year, I had gotten my job to the point where I was working two hours a week and mm-hmm. and faking the rest because everything was automatic. And I just had to initiate processes, which is when I quit. Because when you get to a point where you're working two hours a week, you, you get bored. I don't care how much they pay you. I think uh, a job mm-hmm. has to keep me busy to some extent. 
And once you run out of things to improve efficiency on, eh, maybe you should go become an efficiency expert. There are people, right, that like factories call in and they they observe for a day all your processes and then tell you how to make it better. That's right, a thing, absolutely. right? Oh, yeah. Um, and I went through that process with the, that company I was at as an IT manager was a growing manufacturing company. And they went through that process. They brought in manufacturing consultants who would spend two weeks there watching their whole shop floor processes and then come back and say, here, you can cut out, you know, you're carrying these materials from this location to this location five times a day. You should be able to figure out how much you need and do it once a day. Or the way you're routing the processes through your floor is inefficient. You need to move this machine over there um, and that will save you X number of man hours or, or whatever to produce this product. And I've actually, I've actually, uh, since leaving my job, have taken on consulting jobs similar to that where I, over the phone, people explain to me how they do computer-based tasks. And I immediately can turn around and say, well, here's where you can stop typing in these bizarre file names, or here's where you can use Hazel, etc. That's fun for me. That's just a good time. Yeah, some people just don't research tools. I mean, you run into so many people. I, I mean, the, the traditional office stereotype is that Excel expert who can do some incredible and amazing things with Excel, but doesn't even think about the possibility of tools outside of Excel that might do something better. <laughs> they get so focused on on their one realm. And if you come in and kick open the door and say, well, if you actually did this piece of it in with some other tool, it would right. be that well, much. And it, it comes with experience. Like once you solve problems enough times for yourself, if you have that personality type, Mm-hmm. It's really easy to translate that to other workflows. Okay. What time is it? It's time for a sponsor. We have, we have a few to get through today. So I will go ahead and we'll talk about Squarespace. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all in one platform that makes it easy to create your own website. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code New Year's. Squarespace is constantly updating their platform with new features, new designs, and more support. They have beautiful templates for you to start with and tons of style options for you to adjust so you can really create your own space online. Squarespace takes care of hosting, SEO, and even makes sure your site automatically looks great on any device. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, over 70 Squarespace employees are on the customer care team based in New York City. Squarespace truly cares about design, and it really shows throughout their entire site, which they're always updating with fun new branding and has won numerous awards. They have two brand new iOS apps for Squarespace customers, Squarespace Blog, which lets you easily draft posts, schedule and review posts, as well as monitor and manage comments on your blog. Squarespace Blog is fully integrated with Layout Engine, allowing you to easily format text or markdown, tap and drag images within your post, and modify detailed post settings on the go. Uh, there's also Squarespace Metrics, which allows you to monitor website analytics like KPIs and page views and unique visitors, and projections and charts for your websites are at your fingertips. Also, there are iOS 7 updates for their Note and Portfolio apps. And don't forget about audio collections for musicians and the amazing new 3D visualizer for shipping. 
As I said earlier, you can try Squarespace for free, no credit card required. And if you decide to purchase, it starts at just $8 a month, and uh, that includes a domain name if you sign up for a year. Also, make sure to get 10% off and support the show by using the offer code New Year's. So thanks to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 and Systematic. All right. Have so, you played with their new Squarespace logo thing? I haven't. I haven't. I feel like reading about it was uh, was intriguing enough. Yeah, it's pretty nifty. Like I, I read a lot of uh, a lot of design and and uh, and web design blogs, and there was an initial uproar in that community about how it was devaluing their work and making it too easy for people to design logos that they didn't think were good enough. But there were some really good responses to that where it was, it's a valuable tool for companies that may not even realize they need a logo yet. And while the, while the marketplace gets saturated with similar and, and kind of stock logos, they're all still better than Microsoft clip art. And, right. and the companies that see, you know, that, that there's this just, uh, kind of horizon line of, similar logos are the ones that are going to go and pay a designer to make them stand out. So I don't see it being right. a major detriment to the design I don't know. Did, when community. Squarespace first came out, was there a similar uproar from web programmers? There was. You know, there was. <laughs> they're providing a valuable service for people to get up and running. And honestly, like these days, I would tell most of the people who come to me that uh, they should just try Squarespace before they go and pay for a custom site. That's and, right. uh, sounds... I've been sending my mom there. She's, right. uh, she's an artist. She's a, a fiber artist and needs a website, basically a photo gallery and stuff. And she's overcomplicated it. For years, <laughs> she keeps saying she wants a website. She briefly even thought she was going to teach herself HTML and stuff. And, you know, she's... 70 year old artist she needs something simple that she can get on her mac and upload her pictures and it's perfect for her you know yeah and plus if you hire a web designer you are then dependent on that web designer for years and with squarespace you're dependent on yourself and squarespace continuing to exist but i think they will mm -hmm. um so you uh you play some music what do you play I'm a guitarist mostly. I mean, I pick around at other stuff. I can play a little piano, more or less anything with strings on it. I can probably make some noise with. You ever play uh, bowed instruments? No, I have not. Um, that's uh, that's one I haven't gotten into. Banjo. I play slide guitar some. I play oh, yeah? a little little mandolin. I've picked at the banjo, but uh, it didn't fit my style. Yeah, I I, I have fun. Um, have fun dinking around on banjos, but it's not something I would ever write an entire composition on. Yeah. So do you play electric or acoustic? I play mostly acoustic. These days I don't get a lot of time to get together with people and play and stuff. And mostly I play blues. So I've kind of fallen into um, mostly fingerstyle blues, sort of old uh, Mississippi John Hurt or yeah. Doc Watson style because mostly if you're playing alone more, you can get a fuller sound playing in those sort of styles. Um, I, I, see, I like it's, that's what I'm teaching myself right now is I'm going through riff books and learning a bunch of blues stuff. 
like, you know, everything from basic walking bass lines to riffs that you can put over the top. And I find that on acoustic guitar, they sound great and they're really good for doing entire compositions. But when you translate the same things to electric, mm-hmm. you realize that the, the roots of all rock and roll come back to the blues. I mean, like ACDC was basically a faster, louder blues band. Right. And, and that's, it's a fun, it's fun to take, you know, the stuff that you were just playing more authentic kind of blues on and turn it into rock and roll. I have a dobro and I, I, I love playing it because it's got that rich, rich sound. Uh, if you're not familiar with them, they're acoustically amplified um, instruments, which are fascinating in and of themselves because they really, they came around before electric guitars, but the guitarist playing in the jug band and in the jazz bands and stuff needed to be louder. Um, so they had, you know, the Dobro brothers down in, I guess, Louisiana invented this guitar that has a, basically a speaker cone, aluminum speaker cone built into it that gives you that loud metallic sound. Yeah, really pops. Um, not a lot of sustain, but if you're playing finger style, um, they, they have a great, great sound. Yeah, there's a um, Norton, John, something Norton. Uh, there's a band that tours and they have that in a, a uh, like, um, mop with the string and the wash bucket kind of bass player oh nice yeah it's i mean he plays all kinds of different guitars everything from like little garage sale ukuleles to um really nice old old style blues guitars and it's fun it's a fun show i will i will figure out his name and link it in the show notes um but okay so where do you feel like programming and music fit do they cross over is it are they two separate hobbies they're two separate hobbies but i've always felt there's a significant overlap in the mental capacity uh, required for music and for programming at least for big picture sort of programming things um i mean i did my bachelor's degree is in music and when you do theory stuff and you work on four-part harmonies and learning the basics of of keeping multiple lines going when you're composing it's not unlike thinking in threads and stuff and being aware of what other instruments are doing at the same time and how that all fits together um so i think there is a lot of overlap in the the types of things you think about and big picture analytics kind of stuff there's also a very real-time thing to it that isn't in the other arts uh you know painting or something you're yeah, you're composing a very big thing, but it doesn't all come together in something that executes. You know, music and programs both sort of execute in a real-time environment. Um, well, and it, like unlike the fine arts, your mediums tend to change as you go. Uh, in Insofar as, well, let me see if I can articulate this. When I write a song, I I usually start with lyrics. And I have kind of an end goal. I have like an acoustic riff that lays down the foundation, like a sketch on paper. Mm-hmm. And then I start filling it in. Uh, and it, it can change. I, I may reorder the verses. I may add a bridge. 
you know, I may throw in an extra turnaround as things kind of come together. And ultimately, the final product is rarely the way I thought it was going to go. Mm-hmm. You know, to come out with something that I actually like, a lot of my initial assumptions about how I was going to do it get rethought. And that's very true for me in programming. Same here. I'm very, I'm very iterative with programming. I tend to get the basic functionality up as quick as I can. And then for UI type of stuff, yeah, I'll go one direction and then I'll end up ripping that out and move it around and, and find something else that works better, you know, just like changing out instrumentation on a, you know, if you're producing a song, uh, putting it together layer by layer. And I suppose you could do that when painting, you could switch from charcoal to oils and I don't recommend that though. No, probably not. Well, I mean, there's artists who have particular themes. They rework in different media and stuff like that, certainly. And I doubt that there's any inherent uh, low-level genetic uh, brain function that uh, says one who's adept at music will be adept at programming or vice versa. Well, they say say that math is highly related to music. And I believe that. Uh, based on my experience work like playing in chamber orchestras, most of the people around me, first chair violinist is always a year ahead of everyone in math. Like that's in my experience. And mm-hmm. I don't necessarily fit that mold. And I probably don't code the way that those people would code. I feel like for me, the correlation is the creativity. I feel like maybe the way I program is too creative uh, that's entirely possible, but I feel like I couldn't compose analytically an application just as I couldn't just follow the numbers and create a song. I feel like the creative process is, is an, is to me the main overlap between music and programming. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Improv. I mean, we're talking about composition, and then the other end of it is music. You know, you get play and you improvise and stuff. Playing the blues. You know, I don't have a preset. I don't play the same the song the same way twice generally. Um, what? You know, when I'm playing blues stuff, and to some extent, I've often wondered how that way of thinking through and reacting to processes might help you to program in an environment like the web where there's possible unpredictable user inputs, unpredictable, uh, you know, network inputs, uh, API responses, things like that, that you kind of got to juggle and, and react to or and account for. Right. Well, it's, that's about like prediction. And I think like for me, the correlation between improv where you have a library in your head of, of licks that you can throw it. You mm-hmm. know that if we're playing in A and E, I can use this over that. And you can chi- you can choose then from your library what you're going to what you're going to throw in. And mm-hmm. you can put twists on it, you can make it fit. And for me, like if I look at scripting in in a language like Ruby, there's generally <laughs> 10 different ways you could write the same algorithm with just slight variations in the outcome. And mm-hmm. when I'm faced with a problem, I immediately have to choose which, 
you know, lick is going to go in this space and fit best with the rest of the script slash composition. Right. And do you lean towards the one that's most readable? I do. Yeah. Most of the time. Sometimes I lean towards the one that's most efficient. Yeah. Try to find the, try to find the line there. But when I'm writing scripts that I think other people are going to be taking apart, I do tend to lean towards readable. Hey, I have an idea. What's that? Let's do another sponsor and then jump into our top three picks because I'm excited about that. Let's do it. All right. So our third sponsor is Shutterstock.com, where you'll find over 28 million images stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and a million video clips. Start your search at Shutterstock.com to find that perfect image for your website, ad, publication, or any other creative project. Shutterstock.com gives you a global image collection to find images from around the world to suit your project. You can choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages. So you can choose whatever fits your need and you never have to compromise. Even if you just need one image for a blog or a mock-up, you can do that. Every time you visit Shutterstock, you'll find something new since they add 20,000 new images every single day and 12,000 videos every week. It's more affordable than you would think, too, with no extra charge for large files. Just download any image at any size and pay only one price. They don't nickel and dime you for high-resolution images. If you need one, you can just take it. Easily curate and share pictures via light boxes. You can choose your favorite pictures or videos and then add them to your own Lightbox gallery as you're searching. You can also use their iPad app to do this. And they're really cool because you can share your Lightboxes um, with other users and kind of find that perfect image for whatever project you're collaborating on. There's also something called Enhanced License Access. If you like an image and you want to run it on print or swag for a trade show, they can get you an enhanced license for any image. They also have a huge library of vectors, icons, infographic templates, and video clips, should you need any of those. If you need help at Shutterstock.com, you get an account rep dedicated to you who will answer any questions, and they also have 24-hour support during the week. Sign up for a free browse account at Shutterstock.com, no credit card needed. When you find the images you like and decide to purchase, use the offer code DANSENTME114 and get 25% off of any package you put together over at Shutterstock.com. All right, so top three picks. I'm going to let you start, and we'll go back and forth. Okay. So have you experimented with 3D printing at all? I have not. I have, have? I've read about it with fascination, though. Well, I, I've got a inexpensive printer bot simple for... I, I have... I have three boys, and for their 12th birthday, I got my twins one of these last fall. And 3D printing is still very much a fiddler's hobby. I mean, this isn't something that it's like air printing to an inkjet. Um, there's a lot of technique. you got to learn to it. But it's fascinating stuff. And if you've been curious about it and you looked into it at all, you may have looked at the MakerBots or something, and they're like $2,000. Um, not exactly something you want to go you know, dump for a little hobby. Um, but uh, PrinterBot has this little uh, one you can get for $2.99 as a kit or $3.99 assembled. Um, it will print up to 10 millimeter cube. Um, 
So that's, you know, small pieces, but uh, the device itself is so simple that anyone interested in getting into it, it's a great place to start because if you put it together yourself, um, you, you see all the pieces go together, you see how this thing really works. Some of the bigger, more complicated ones, uh, you might not, you know, immediately follow the process as much. Um, but essentially, you've got a extruder that takes the filament, uh, you know, plastic filament, melts it, and moves around on X, Y, and Z axes and spits this plastic out in layers and builds up. And it's been so fun just to watch it um, and to learn to use it, uh, play around with it as a machine, not just as a for the printing and the output, um, but it's it's just kind of a fun little machine if you like to tinker with stuff. Um, definitely recommended way to dive into it. The quality of the output of the plastic stuff you print is not going to be as high as the $2,000 MakerBot, but uh, if you're just getting started with it uh, and want to play around, definitely worthwhile. How much is the filament? What does it cost to keep this thing running? Uh, not that much. I mean, it's, it comes in rolls, uh, that are about $30 a pop. And we haven't really put a dent in the rolls we have. I don't exactly know how many meters are on them. Um, but, uh, they go and go and you get all different colors and, and uh, stuff. You can buy that stuff from Amazon for, uh, for cheap. And there's really no other consumables to it. Um, the, the, the modeling is something I haven't really totally figured out yet. There's some good online tools like uh, Tinkercad you can use for free to do your own 3D models. There's a great site called Thingiverse. Um, I'll get you the links for these, but it's basically a library of published models you can download and print. Um, so we did a lot of like Christmas ornaments and stuff like that that we just downloaded the models uh, and printed. And uh, it's definitely something you... you don't expect it to just take care of itself. The the software that's used, um, you know, takes a 3D model as input and converts it into layers. Um, you know, it basically does the code necessary to turn this model into what the printer will understand. Um, and then there's a whole lot of little settings, temperature controls, uh, you know, little adjustments uh, that you have to tweak to get the best output for different models. But uh you know, I'm currently my my current model is is I, I don't have finished yet, but I'm going to make custom guitar knobs um, with it. Um, you know, print some special ones for friends and stuff with the initials on or whatever. Um, but you could make just about anything with it. So, what's the uh, what's the coolest thing you finished? like actually uh, completed at this point? Um, I, I got this uh, gyroscopic uh, Christmas ornament, and it actually prints as one printout um, that's layered together so that there's three embedded um, circular bits that each turn um, on different axes inside. So it's like a puzzle-type piece. And it essentially it prints as one piece with a little bit of separation between each of the things and a couple of small support pieces print to keep the things separate. And then once it's done, you can snap those off um, and the three pieces spin independently. 
I'll get you a link to the model. That's one I downloaded. So you can awesome. put that in the notes. Definitely want to see that. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. So it's like a, a $300 introduction. And once you're hooked, you'll probably want to go get a MakerBot eventually, but. Yeah. But especially if you have like teenage kids that are kind of nerdy and stuff, you could, you know, make all sorts of Minecraft models or <laughs> things like that. It's, it's just a lot of fun to play with. Very cool. And it's fun to look at the machine too. I mean, literally this machine, you could build it yourself and probably not with the level of precision, but like the X and Y axes are driven by a, uh, a piece of string that goes around a motor that literally has a Dremel sander bit on it to to tension the line. <laughs> so the motor turns and, and makes the machine move on the X and Y axis just over these simple parts. Um, and it has a little, I guess it's probably an Arduino board that drives it um, with a USB connection and all. Very cool. That's definitely something I would love to play with. Is there a community to like, can people share models easily? Yeah. The thing Iverse is, is actually, I'm pretty sure it's run by the make magazine MakerBot people. Um, but it's basically just an online place to upload and share models. Um, you can favorite them. You can comment on them. You know, people put up a model and then there'll be a bunch of comments about what the best settings to use to get the best printout of that model are. And uh, a lot of great, great community going on around it. A lot of local community too. I mean, the maker fair stuff and organizations. I mean, we start, we first started getting into it because we went out to some local meetups of, of local makers who were showing off their printers and stuff. And they just fascinated the boys. So we for sure wanted to get into it and try it. Nice. I wish I had local makers. I don't have much local anything. (laughs) You might be surprised if you dig a little. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe I should actually ask instead of just assuming. (laughs) Cause you know what happens when you assume you make an ass out of you and Uma Thurman. Um, so my so first, you, yeah. I, my first pick is, have you ever used IFTTT? Yeah, sure. I found, uh, Zapier and Zapier is to me, IFTTT on steroids with over 250 different integrations and an API where you can easily add your own. They have like a whole developer program for integrating even your own private, like APIs, Mm-hmm. Anything that IFTTT or something like Zapier could do, you can, you can bring in. And it's really simple to, like, I have one. I'm not using, um, FlowDoc right now, but I like to play with it because it's a really cool idea. Um, but I have one where if I get a new message on my tender support board, it drops it into a conversation in FlowDoc tagged, um, and ready for me to respond to. Um, I, it can do all kinds of stuff with Dropbox files and, uh, I can, I can send, uh, pushover notifications from different events in Dropbox. I can even, uh, I can have GitHub commits, uh, collected and appended to Dropbox files, which you can do, I think, with IFTTT, but I'm just now getting into playing with Zapier and I'm having a blast with it. Yeah. I've helped. I haven't played with it myself, but I've helped a couple of, of drafts customers 
get sorted out. I think that they're sending stuff into it via email actions and triggering flows from drafts with with it. Um, sounds like a pretty cool tool. Yeah. Well, and you could you could create custom endpoints. You could probably create a a draft endpoint that you could just easily like say, if I get this from drafts, you know, you create a drafts action that hit this endpoint, and then it would just show up, and they could just pick mm-hmm. drafts as an action. Mm-hmm. Or as a trigger, and then whatever action they wanted to. And the people there are really nice too. They're extremely helpful. I think that's what impressed me most is I got like a human, human uh, touch to the whole thing. Cool. Cool. Over two hundred and fifty apps. That's great. Yeah, that it integrates it's, with. It's immense. Okay, so. What's your number two? All right, I got a really stupid one for number two. Uh, the there are Dream, no stupid picks. Dream Farm Skizza 12-inch pizza scissors. That's pizza scissors. Stupid. Well, I don't know. We eat a lot of pizza. Um, and these are something that seemed like a silly idea to me. Why do you need anything other than that roller thing to cut your pizza? And... I never would have bought them. It's something I, I think my mom gave me as a Christmas gift. And then they sat in a drawer for, you know, a year before I even tried them on anything. And then I finally, I think that, you know, because we eat a lot of pizza, the roller was probably dirty. And I'm like, all right, I'll try the scissors. And uh, it is simply a revolutionary way to cut pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason, there's two main reasons. One is... It's scissors, so you're cutting with a blade from below and above, and you never have to do that hack back and forth yeah. thing you have to do with the roller to get through the ingredients or whatever. You get a clean cut. And the second reason is you don't need a cutting board or anything under it to cut. So, you know, we'll get those, like, make-and-bake pizzas that you bring them home and cook them yourself, right? Yeah. And they don't come on a cutting board or anything. You don't want to have to find a good place. And then you get the family size, like the New York size one. And who's got a cutting board that big? <laughs> Nobody. So you, <laughs> these solve the, those problems for you. And essentially they're basically a pair of scissors with a little plastic guide under the bottom uh, blade that uh, is kind of rubberized and won't scratch anything. Um, and they have a bend to the handle. So you don't get your hands stuck in the ingredients. Yeah. Simple, was, uh... but, uh, but very helpful around uh, the kitchen. I was just looking at it on Amazon, and I feel like the design is really intelligent. Like, keep your knuckles up above the pizza. It's got a uh-huh. lever instead of, like, a thumb hole. It's got a little lock to keep them closed when you're storing them so they don't, like, get all over your drawer. Um, nice. Highly recommended if you eat pizza. And only $22 on Amazon right now. Well, there you go. That's a that's a good deal. You save seven point two three dollars, or put them on your wish list for next Christmas. And there you go. There you go. Nice. I don't think that's stupid at all. I don't eat a ton of pizza, but I have friends who who bake their own pizzas regularly, mm-hmm. and uh, they've almost got me convinced to start. I mean, when they talk about the quality of ingredients and the ease of cooking and the overall cost of making your own pizza, it's a really, it can be a really smart way to eat as long as you, you know, keep your ingredients healthy. 
Yeah. I used to make my own pizza and I kind of dropped off on it. The main thing was actually planning ahead, which I kind of suck at and having <laughs> to allow time for your dough to rise. Um, yeah. These guys, uh, they, they create their dough in bulk and then ball it up and freeze it. Ah. So all they have to do is thaw and they're ready. They probably take one out in the morning and it yeah. thaws and rises and it's all ready for dinner. Yep. That's awesome. Easy peasy. All right. So what do I have next? Oh, it's not out yet. Um, but I'm basing my love of it on my current PowerMate. Uh, PowerMate, Griffin has a, a Bluetooth PowerMate coming out. That's a little knob thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's a little hardware knob thing. And with my current one, I've got it set up so that whatever app, like if it's, just sitting there normally, you know, with a steady light, it's a volume controller, tap to mute, left and right to increase, decrease volume. But in any app, I can press and hold it for a couple of seconds and it'll start blinking. And at that point, I have a, a app specific controls and uh, left and right and extended taps. I'll do new things uh, specific to that application and then a single tap and I'm back to my volume controls and hmm. like, I just set it up to work with cheaters. I, I have this like cheat sheet application that runs in a fluid instance. And right now, if I press and hold my power mate, it'll, it'll pop the menu bar cheaters up and then I can scroll through the, <laughs> um, I touched it. Um, you can scroll through the different cheat sheets available and then you can, press and turn to scroll up and down on that particular cheat sheet. And then I tap again and the cheat sheet goes away and it's back to volume control. Nice. And I am so excited because this new Bluetooth one is a lower profile, no wires, and it just feels like, I, I got to admit that the current one looks a little bit goofy. They've been around for a long time. Yeah, they right? have. I mean, they I remember have. maybe 10 years or so. Yeah, and there are a lot. You can find a ton of posts on the internet on how to extend and make them cool. Um, like <laughs> mine, it, my wife has a, an app on her phone that I wrote called Summon. Mm -hmm. And she opens it up and she taps it anywhere on the screen, just taps it. And my computer dings and my power mate starts doing this alert flash, like really three bursts, really fast flashes. Mm -hmm. And I can acknowledge, I can say I'm coming just by tapping the power mate. You can control all the, you control the speed of the light in the bottom of it. You control the, so the pulse rate, the pulse length, and you can name different light states and have actions determined by what light state it's currently in. Hmm. It's, a, it's, I'm sure it's the same part of my brain that would really enjoy a 3D printer. Yeah. <laughs> I have a Sphero. You know what that is? No, I don't. It's a little Bluetooth uh, robotic ball. It's just a sphere-shaped ball. And it uh, has a, a motor in it, and it has uh, L color LED lights in it. And I haven't played with the SDK, but I keep meaning to because I want to hook it up to do some simple stuff like that. You can use it as a haptic controller. There's like iOS games that you can hook it up to that you actually, you know, you hold the ball in your hand and you turn it to move the stuff in the game. Oh, wow. um, so it's like a trackball without like every, everything. Yeah, with, <laughs> I mean, you can put it on the floor and control it like, 
like a robot and make it move around left and right and change the color of the thing. You know, the simple app that comes with it is basically a remote control for it. Um, but in addition to moving it, you can also hold it and it's got a weighted, uh, you know, accelerometer inside of it that can tell its orientation. And they have a Bluetooth SDK for it that you can, I was wanting to hook it up to do similar sorts of things on my computer. You know, it could light up when certain events happen or I could just pick it up and, and move it to do things, um, custom things, but I've never gotten there. I want this. I'm looking at it. $130. Looks like a blast. I have, they have a newer one than the one I have. Mine's like two years old, I think. Um, I'm looking at changed. The, I'm looking at the Orbotic Spiro 2.0. Does that sound about right? Yeah. $129. That looks awesome. I would definitely, yeah. I love input devices and I love robots and, uh, we do that. These all are day. rabbit holes that are dangerous to indies like us because you'll end up spending a whole week futzing with this and <laughs> not have anything that you ship. That you yeah, well, <laughs> I registered the domain rabbithole.es. No, it's downrabbithole.es. Yeah. Um, and I plan to document. I'm going to turn all the things that I get sucked into into something productive and have a site where I can post things that. I didn't even finish, but they were fun rabbit holes and I can post code and people can do what they want with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you gotta, you gotta make something out of all that wasted time. Sure. <laughs> all right. So it's your turn, right? All right. My last one is, uh, Amazon basics lightning cables. Now, if you're not familiar with the Amazon basics line, they have a whole bunch of Amazon branded products for simple electronics type things. Um, I mean, you can get like an Amazon Basics DVD burner and, and a variety of cables, USB cables and stuff, but they have lightning cables. And I will say up front that the quality on them does not match Apple's, that their durability is not there. I've had several of them and I've had one or two start to, you know, where the sleeve comes away from the connector or something. So don't necessarily expect them. I wouldn't make them your primary travel cable, I guess I'm saying. Um, but they're super cheap relative to Apple's. They are black instead of white, which I like for a few reasons. One, if you're a multi-device geek like I am, I have them on my desk and the black ones go to chargers and the white ones go to sync. So I have an easy way to figure out which of these cables I want to plug in um, at a particular time. And the black ones are good for your car, too, because they don't really draw attention to themselves when people glance into your vehicle. Sure. And they also come in multiple lengths, which Apple doesn't really offer, including down to three inches, which is a perfect little stubby cable. Like my wife's charger is on the bar in the kitchen, right? We don't want... We used to have the the three or four foot long cable and have to have it all wrapped up and twist tied and stuff when all she really needs is that stubby little thing to plug her phone into. Um, yeah. So great flexibility. Have you found any issues with um, them not being recognized? I have I, not. I bought some like monoprice ones and they, they don't like the phone never realizes it's plugged in hmm. or worse. It'll give me a message saying this device is not compatible. I have had no problems with that. I've cool. used them for more than a year in my car and and several on my desk, and they've all worked fine, never had any issues. Cool. I would love to have some extras around. 
that would be a good solution then. The short little stubby ones are pretty handy too. Like also if you have a little universal battery pack or something like that, yeah. and you don't want the big long cable around, um, it's pretty nice. Yeah, for sure. I have the, uh, the dark energy battery. Have you seen that one? No. It's, uh, I can't, there's a name for the specific model I have, but it's from dark energy and it can charge my iPhone and my iPad. Uh, uh, it can tr- any device up to six times without needing a refill. Oh, nice. And it charges pretty fast too. When, How big when and heavy is that? It's a, almost exactly the size of like an iPhone five. Huh? I've got the one from Eton that actually has a crank on it. Um, the emergency one. I mean, you could charge it up yeah. by USB, but if you ever need to, you can crank it to create a charge as well. Um, that I could see definite, like if you live in an area, especially that floods, yeah, or or any natural disaster. Oh, it's called the reservoir. I just found it. It's the it's dark for, energy. For me, reservoir. it's that we go camping and we go camping places without power often. And I haven't really had to resort to this, but I can totally see myself giving it to my kids and say, crank this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife makes me turn my phone off when we get to the campsite and uh, or before any portage. And I'm not allowed to turn it back on. And it takes me like two days to disconnect from my phone, like mentally. I mean, mm-hmm. but uh, but I do I, I do find that's a uh, a good reason to go camping once in a while. Well, yeah, I don't use it much when we're out camping, but uh, we the things I use it for tend to eat power, like you know, geocaching or something that's using the GPS and stuff like that. Um, nice. All right. Well, my last pick is an iPhone app called Heyday, and uh, and what it does is it takes pictures that you save to your camera roll and the location information that your phone is saving. And generates a private journal for you showing where you were on a day and uh, like a visual representation based on collages it creates from the photos you took in those places. And then you can go in and you can reposition and edit the collages. You can, you can export the collages. And, uh, it's kind of, it's, it's for me, it's the idea behind why I made Slogger for day one. It's just, it's completely automated and it doesn't pull in like Twitter or any of your social services, just stuff that your phone knows by default and creates uh, a very workable journal. And it's pretty cool. I like it a lot. It's free too. Nice. Yeah. Try that. All right. There's your dog. Yep. All right. He's been, he's been quiet. I have one more sponsor that that I really love and um, we'll get through that. And then you'll have to remind me your sign off information. But first we're going to talk about hover and hovers the best way to buy and manage domain names. When you have a great idea, you want to secure a name for it, something that's catchy and memorable uh, to represent your entire online identity. So hover gives you exactly what you need to get that job done. You'll find the perfect domain for your idea to live at, and then you can start creating it and move on to the next thing on your to-do list. If you know anyone who works in the industry, they'll more than likely recommend Hover to you. Is that true, Greg? Everybody I know who uses them speaks highly of them. Yes. 
Uh, we, we all love it and we recommend it because you don't have to be an expert to take control of your own domain. Even if you're using a web developer, a web developer to create your site, owning your own domain means that you don't have to depend on anyone else in the future to maintain, protect, protect, uh, renew your domain. You're not, you're not subject to anyone else's disappearing or getting out of the business. You own it. Uh, most importantly, Hover is honest. There are no upsells and they don't try to get you to dish out for services you don't need. They just give you powerful tools for finding and quickly registering domain names. You can get great services such as valet transfers, Google apps, and tons of new top level domains that you can pick from. Uh, and they'll even help you grab a custom email if you want to. And, uh, that can work right alongside your current email address. So you never have to send out one of those. Hey, I have a new email address to all of your family, uh, friends and colleagues. You can even forward a custom email to any other address for just $5. Get 10% off your first purchase with the offer code TURTLES. I get to make that one up this week, so it's nice. TURTLES. Thanks to Hover for supporting Systematic and 5x5. All right, this is the sad part of the show. I have to say goodbye. What's your, your Is your Twitter handle Agile Tortoise, or do you have a personal one as well? No, I made the mistake of never separating those. So yeah, I'm Agile Tortoise uh, on Twitter on app.net. Uh, you can find me at agiletortoise.com. That that makes life easy uh, for 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 us, not necessarily for you, because you have to mix support and personal tweets. Well, I keep separate accounts for each of the apps, and I think I've done a pretty good job of of you know people interested in keeping up with the apps Smart. follow those accounts. Um, yes, yes. All right. And uh, any other websites you want to mention? Uh, no, I think that, that pretty much covers it. All right. And uh, I'm Brett Terpstra. You can find me at brettterpstra.com. And there is something there called Audio Drop. If you go to brettterpstra.com slash audio drop, you can record a two to five minute introduction of yourself and upload it there. And I collect these and the ones that are interesting, that sound intriguing to me, often become guests on the show. So feel free, consider it an audition. Uh, if you want to be on Systematic, just drop me an introduction there. And uh, you can also find me as TT Scoff on Twitter, GitHub, Last.fm, everywhere. Um, and this has been Systematic Episode 81. Thanks for being here, Greg. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been fun. It has. And uh, we will see everybody in one week. <laughs>